Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. This is Inspiring Women, and I am Lori McGraw. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Brittany Barreto. She is a geneticist, and she has her PhD from Baylor College of Medicine, which she got about five years ago. And she's become quite the expert in the area of femtech. She started Femtech Focus just a few years ago during the pandemic. She sized the industry. She has a background in venture, startup. She's an entrepreneur. She's a podcast host and an expert in the field of femtech. And Brittany, thank you for being on Inspiring Women. Thank you so much. I didn't realize my PhD was five years ago. So thanks for counting that out. (laughs) It's been a long time, right? You've had a lot, got a lot done in just five years. It's kind of impressive, which I'm looking forward to talking to you about. Absolutely, yes. All right. So Brittany, let's just dive in. I always start inspiring women, just getting a sort of state of play of what do you do right now? What does your day-to-day look like with Femtech Focus? Yeah, Femtech Focus, our two main missions are to one, raise awareness for the need for sex-specific healthcare innovation, and two, support the founders innovating in this space. And so we do that through four specific ways. The first is a podcast. So if you're listening to this podcast, you may like mine. It's called Femtech Focus on all your streaming devices. So that's one way that we raise awareness and give exposure to founders. Uh, Two, we have a virtual community. So again, you can go to femtechfocus.org, join our community. We have about 2,000 femtech founders in there and different um, people looking for work in femtech or interns and students or even professionals who want to give back or advise. Three, we do events. We have an annual summit and uh, also like one-off events that are for whatever the industry needs. So this year I realized there was a lot of open positions and a lot of people switching industries, mostly women. So we held the jobs fair with over like 500 candidates and 90 open positions. And then last but not least, my favorite part actually is market research. So I believe that if we don't measure it, we can't improve it. And so, um, you know, when I first started getting into Femtech three years ago, uh, I could not find a list of startups, which seemed to be the most basic ask you could have for an industry of like, who's in the space, and that didn't exist. And so today, Femtech Focus is probably most known for our reports that we put out on, you know, quantifying how large the market is, what are the trends, who's exiting, how much money's being, you know, returned to investors, because all of that will, um, you know, essentially result in more investment in the industry. So most of my day is spent talking to founders, chatting with people in our community, um, interviewing folks for the podcast, organizing events. And my favorite part is uh, working in Google Sheets and making some cool graphs, seeing the trends of women's health. 
<laughs> sounds a lot, sounds quite busy. I want to sort of, you know, before I talk about the state of play in femtech, because that industry is, you know, there's a lot happening there and it's really just wonderful how you're helping to shape, promote and advance, um, particularly women in, in that area. But before we get to that, Brittany, just give us a little bit of the bio sketch. Like, how did you get here? So from, you know, I, it's only been a couple of years from the PhD, but, you know, how did you decide to get into um, this? field and then what brought you to startups and entrepreneurship and and this type of work yeah well i uh became obsessed with dna actually in high school which um i realize i'm like a blessed person to have found something really that sparked me academically as a as a teenager and i just love this idea of you know who we are is encoded in our genome and so um went to college majored in biology pursued a phd in genetics but honestly even in college but then especially in phd when i was in the laboratory i just didn't feel this sense of like oh this is where i'm going to be for the rest of my life mm-hmm. i uh, actually really struggled to make friends um you know i'm very extroverted i'm you know i'm very like loud and colorful and boisterous and so like that usually doesn't fit really well in a sterile lab environment where there's uh, predominantly introverts and I love my science community I love my science friends but I just didn't feel like I was thriving and so I started to look for alternative career routes for graduate students and um, I went and toured a startup one day and they were drinking beer eating pizza and they were wearing jeans and I was like this could be where I <laughs> this end is up. Me. Uh, <laughs> this feels a little bit more like home. So um, I started my first startup uh, called Faramore. was the world's first DNA-based dating app. Uh, so I matched singles based on DNA. That was a really fun adventure. You can Google that, learn more about it. But um, that was how I essentially got into startups. Uh, unfortunately, that company closed due to a various number of reasons. I'd be happy to send you the news article, put in the show notes or something, but uh, closed that company. And I used that as a launch pad to get into venture capital because that's where I saw the power really is. You know, it's who's deciding who gets the money. And so um, became a venture capitalist, worked at a fund in Texas, and I started to mentor a few femtech companies, and that's when I got the femtech bug. Well, there is a lot of power in where the money flows and who it comes from and how it comes from. So I want to talk about particularly women and venture and really appreciate your advocacy in that area in addition to your um, work there. But let's start with just the state of play in femtech. So you've described this industry as a $1.1 trillion industry um, when you sized it. So what what is going on there? What is happening today? Um, And how did it become such a passionate interest for you to focus exclusively in femtech. Yeah. Well, femtech really should be just health tech, but something happened along the way in medicine. Um, Females and women have historically and systemically been excluded from medicine. We've been seen as too complicated, um, too high risk, you know, this idea of, you know, our sole purpose in life is to have babies and like, you know, being in clinical trials could potentially, you know, uh, divert that life goal of women. Obviously I'm speaking from a, you know, kind of a sad voice that <laughs> that's the, mm-hmm. that's the backdrop of healthcare, but that's what it was. And so what has happened is that, you know, whether it be drugs, medical devices, diagnostic tools, billing codes, even just the healthcare system flow, like the, how the systems work, it's based off of 190 pound white male health. 
Um, and so women, you know, it results in us having five times more side effects from therapeutic drugs. It results in 72% of FDA approved drugs have zero data on pregnant or breastfeeding women. And what does that look like? It looks like women for years of their life, unable to take medication because nothing's been tested for her because women aren't pregnant for the weekend, obviously, right? Like we're either trying to be our, or our breastfeeding for years at a time. And so, um, we really need to create uh, healthcare solutions specifically for the female women and girl population. So that's kind of the backdrop as to how femtech even needed to be a term. Um, my hope is that one day we can just go back to health tech, you know, but until half of the booths at, you know, health conferences are about the uterus, you know, I don't think we'll be there anytime soon. But the funding, the funding landscape has changed a bit. So again, in this, in this pretty um, large industry, we, we've seen just from pitch book data um, that, you know, we've gone from about $600 million of funding in this area to almost 2 billion. Um, in the past couple of years. So do you think that the funding um, landscape for femtech, and let's call it femtech, because that's what it is for now, at least, and I think your descriptions, you know, are pretty apt in terms of, you know, the underinvestment over many years prior to, but based on the increases that we've seen, um, are, do you still think we're underfunded? Do you think that in, in this area, do you think more is needed? What, what are you seeing there? 100% more is needed. I think the increase in investment happening right now is because of the increase in number of deals to be funded. So we see a direct correlation with the number of women in STEM and the number of solutions for women's health growing. The vast majority of femtech founders are female. It's not a requirement. It's just how it ends up being. And so um, we see are seeing a huge boom in solutions. So therefore, the investment is following that boom. Um, and then I I would say that one of the key reasons that femtech is finally really being talked about and discussed and becoming mainstream is covid finally revealed to us that you know not everyone gets the same healthcare based on your race based on your zip code and now we just add in based on your gender and sex and people have you know seen from the pandemic like oh yeah i've heard about this healthcare disparity thing and so it kind of was um our entryway to get into the conversation to say women don't get the same healthcare either. And that's why we need these solutions. So what types of solutions are you looking at? What are some of the exciting companies that you're working with? Ooh, it's so great. So one of the things that I've done is I'm tracking 1100 femtech startups and uh, each company is tagged with a product type and femtech vertical because it is actually so broad. So there's 18 different product types. So it ranges from medical devices, diagnostics, consumer product goods, uh, digital health apps, therapeutic drugs. So that's where those are the products. And then femtech vertical. So you have your typical bikini medicine, which which is you know breast health, uterine health, fertility, maternal health. But now we're also starting to see companies focus on things that disproportionately or differently affect women, like heart disease and bone health. I, um, a bikini medicine is a new term for me. I don't know if that's a particular <laughs> specialty, but but I, but I like that one. Hey, so Brittany, let's talk about Dobbs, okay? So obviously an enormous um, landscape change for women uh, that is not just health, it's everything. It's economics, mm -hmm. it's you know rights, it's um, deeply personal for so many and, and, and men as well. Uh, what's the impact on the tech industry, your startups and what you're seeing change because of Dobbs? 
Yeah. Well, we already only had about two companies in the world innovating on uh, abortion. So we already really didn't have a lot of solutions. And that was because even before Dobbs, investors were really afraid to touch that. Um, and also like just startups, you know, it's so high risk. So to go into something that, you know, on a state by state ruling, you, you just you know, it's such a um, hazardous uh, topic to try to innovate in, but yet at the same time, so critical, absolutely needed. And so first of all, I think that there's this perception of all these abortion startups, like no longer were able to operate, but in fact, there was only two to begin with. Where I actually see the, the um, change in energy or change in momentum is in the fertility and contraception space, because the, the overturning of Dobbs and the rules that are now, you know, state state by state coming out are, are honestly biologically incorrect, right? So they're, they're saying things like life begins at, fer at uh, fertilization, which is in the fallopian tube, which then makes all IUDs essentially, you know, like illegal. <laughs> and so we're actually seeing a lot more concern in our uh, community with, you know, IUDs and other types of contraception that may stop a fertilized egg from implanting in the uterus. We see uh, concern in the IVF uh, world with uh, moving eggs and sperm and embryos across state lines. And how many are you allowed to harvest if an embryo is considered life? Does it deserve to be born and who's going to birth it? And, you know, so that's really where we're seeing those concerns. And then last but not least, obviously, the privacy policy business, because you can kind of figure out if someone's pregnant based on what they're monitoring in their app. And unfortunately, the way the government is set up, you know, they're putting this stuff under the category of murder. And so even if we have the best privacy policies, companies may still be forced to hand over data that they have from their users. Well, I think there's, a, you know, obviously, there's a lot of um very, very uh, polarizing issues that you're talking about. And it strikes me, Brittany, that the opportunity for you with Femtech Focus to just put some education out there about <laughs> yes. you know, some of these impacts based on your community of thousands of um, founders and, um, and entrepreneurs in, in this area uh, could just be helpful in it's it's a challenging time to say the least but solutions are going to be required so thank you for the focus on that let's talk about women in venture let's just um you know we know the numbers where just women startups women founded uh led businesses are generally uh just receiving far less of the financial resources so while there is tremendous amount of investments going into um startups they are not going to female founders less than 2% or about 2% of venture money is um, going to the female founders. What are you seeing? Um, and is it changing based on, based on the landscape in femtech? Yeah, it is changing for us in terms of if you've able if you've been able to build a product and prove out some traction because our solutions are so needed. Usually, traction if you do have a good solution is quick to obtain. Uh, women are desperate for solutions for their menopause symptoms or you know their endometriosis cramps, and so we do see pretty successful funding after a Series A, so like more than five million dollars. But again, that's kind of like you've proven it out. Where we're really really lacking is that seed stage early 
really early stage, you know, I have an idea or an MVP or some early, you know, traction. That's really where we're seeing the the huge like gap in funding. And I would say that that's twofold because, um, you know, investing, you, you have to consider numbers, financials, and you have to consider your own personal passion for the project. And unfortunately, the predominant gender that is the investment decision maker is male. And so one are lacking the financials for femtech. And that's one of the things that I'm working on is publishing more and more about the market size, publishing about exits that have happened, how many big returns have happened, you know, how much people got back, because that will hopefully influence these investors to say, oh, look at all this history of other people making money. I should put my money into this too. And then secondly, uh, we just need to get people excited about, you know, things like heavy menstrual bleeding, urinary incontinence, breastfeeding. And, um, you know, I think we can turn men into big advocates and people who are are really excited about these topics. But I think the easier route is just to get more uh, female investors because they'll know it right from the get go. Okay. And that, so there are, you know, several of these, you know, funds, so there's Serena Ventures, there's Coyote Ventures, which you co-founded to, um, you know, begin these conversations. And I'm assuming you tell me, Brittany, but I'm assuming that the femtech focused community that you talk about is there's a lot of resources available for um, early stage or, or early stage companies, female founders to figure out some of these issues they need to navigate. Is that right? Yes, but there's one thing to like give people um, (laughs) advice. And I think there's another thing to cut people checks. And I think women in entrepreneurship have experienced this for many decades, right? We have all these like mentors, but we have limited investors. So I am a big advocate for like, we don't need any more panels. We don't need any more office hours. We need checks. Okay. All right. We need checks. All right. That sounds like a really great um, title for this episode. And I appreciate that really great um, advice. Brittany, let's come back to you. So as a, um, you know, as a scientist, as a entrepreneur, as a a CEO, um, when you started out as a young entrepreneur, how, how, and I I consider you still fairly young, even though um, you're pretty active and have done a lot in the past several years, how has the pandemic shaped your career outlook? Has it changed in terms of what you wanted to be when you grew up or is that changing every single day? Yeah, the pandemic actually kickstarted this career because uh, March 2020 is when I started the podcast. And uh, I jokingly say I started it because um, quarantine does not look cute on me. Like I'm such an extroverted, personable person. So being in my studio apartment in Houston for 30 days at a time, it was like, I can't take it. And so the podcast actually was born out of me trying to reach out through my computer and meet other people. So I would say the pandemic had an absolutely huge, huge, huge pivotal effect on my career. And um, I'll I'll probably never go to an office again. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) High heels have really taken a backseat in my closet. Uh, But I, you know, I really do uh, love the um, uh, virtual first work environment specifically for the women's health industry, because so many of our founders are female and a lot of them are moms. And so you do actually not, you do not see a, a hub for femtech. There's no like one city that's known for it. It's very global. We have listeners in over 125 countries, um, you know, podcast, you know, friends I have, they're like, Whoa, you have people just outside of North America. I'm like, yeah, Africa, South America, only where I'm missing is Antarctica. So if any of y'all are in Antarctica, Please check out Fedex Bogus. But um, 
I think it speaks to it's, um, you know, if we want to cater to this industry, we need to think about these are moms trying to live in, you know, family friendly communities, and they're likely taking care of their families because they're women. Um, And so this isn't going to be something where we have this center of gravity in Los Angeles or Boston or like these big major expensive cities. Instead, I think Femtech will continue to live on Zoom, essentially. Okay, well, global global is good because half the resources across the globe are women. So really appreciate yeah. that. As we sort of close out here, Brittany, I'd love to get your perspective on where where does the where does femtech um, go in five years? What's your optimistic vision for where we might be five to ten years out? Oh my gosh, we're gonna have <laughs> so many big exits, like billion dollar exits. And um, we've already had five in the last 30 years and there's a bunch that are worth a billion but haven't exited yet. So I think we're gonna have a lot of big exits. I think that we're gonna start to see um, new versions of Procter & Gamble. And what I mean by that is uh, there's been so few companies focused on, you know, for example, fem- feminine care aisle that they've almost become monopolies and we need new leaders that are acquiring a portfolio of products. And so I think we're going to see some new major names born in the next five years that, you know, we look back in 20 years from now and say, yeah, wow, that's when they actually really became the it company. Uh, And I think that, you know, Femtech will continue to become mainstream. People won't uh, ask me anymore if I'm saying FinTech. Uh, And (laughs) I hope that, (laughs) I hope that, uh, you know, we can get more men and Involved because unfortunately, one of the things I'm most discouraged by is the lack of men that attend femtech events. They think that, oh, that's like a girl's thing. Um, but what I'm encouraged to see is that um, the, the femtech community is so collaborative, is so passionate. The Northern Star is improving women's health. And with those kind of value sets and that shared success business model, we're going to be wildly successful. So it's going to be a great industry. So come join us. Okay, well, your energy and passion, it all starts with education to bring in others. And the way that you talk about it is certainly inviting and exciting. So Brittany, we're closing out here on this great conversation. I so appreciate it. Last last question for you. Any advice for listeners, um, younger women who are starting out in their career just based on your own professional experience? Walk around the world and ask yourself, was sex considered when they made this? Even if it's your, your seatbelt in the car, they to date, there is still no regulations requiring female test dummies for car safety. And so I, I venture to say most of our lives are actually um, created with the male paradigm. And the more people we have walking around asking, was this made with me in mind or somebody else? They will then be the person to say, huh, I don't think so. And I think I can make a better version and I cannot wait to see all the better versions of products uh, around the world coming out. That is an awesome perspective. Brittany, I have really appreciated this conversation. I've learned a lot actually. So thank you so much. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women. I've been speaking with Brittany Barreo and Brittany, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.